The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. 8474. It's with great joy, as you can imagine, that uh, I can introduce to you Pastor Gorell. Uh, he was a church planner in the Presbytery of the Southeast, pastor up in the Presbytery of New York and New England, and he's now presently the pastor at Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Westminster, California. Is that correct? Yeah, right next to Garden Grove. And he's also the clerk of the Presbytery of Southern California. Got some water up here, so BJ, come on up. All right. Well, it's a delight to be with you today. I'm glad I made it. Hope you are as well. Uh, if you'd open your Bibles to uh, John chapter 14, it's an honor to uh, address you today on uh, All Saints Day. Guys, they're all celebrating All Saints Day, right? Got all the goblins fed yesterday, and today is uh, for the church. Um, uh, it's a uh, we're going to be looking at the peace of Christ, but uh, it, I, I do serve in Westminster, California. It was a, it was a, it's a town that was founded by a Presbyterian minister back in the mid-1800s. They were trying to populate California, and somebody offered this Presbyterian, a teetotaling Presbyterian minister, as many acres as he could handle if he could get enough people to come out. So uh, they came out and planted Westminster, California. That's where I've been serving for uh, 13 years. They uh, outlawed planting uh, grapevines. No grapevines there. Uh, that has changed immensely since then. Uh, Westminster now houses uh, the most Vietnamese population outside of the, of the nation of Vietnam. And uh, we have a Vietnamese uh, ministry there uh, working with uh, reaching them for uh, the Lord Jesus. I want to express my appreciation for the school before uh, looking at our text in John uh, chapter 14. Thankful for the ministers that come from the school and are glad to support the students who attend here. Um, uh, I, 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 speak in cha- I speak in chapel twice a week. I speak at my, um, uh, we have a little Christian school, so I speak to elementary grade um, uh, children little kindergartners right in the front, and then I speak to, um, my, my son is a, uh, a senior in high school at a Christian school. I'm a chaplain for their football team. So you guys should be very easy, I hope, in comparison uh, to speaking to these uh, younger, younger folk. Um, so looking at uh, uh, John chapter uh, 14, the closing verses of uh, this wonderful passage of God's holy word. John 14, verses 27 through 31. Our Savior says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. 
Get up and let us go from here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son Jesus and all that he is to us as our Savior and as our Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for the peace that is ours. Lord, each of us are living our lives, uh, pursuing our pilgrimage. We each have burdens that we bear. And we ask, Father, that you would uh, bring that peace of your Son uh, home to our hearts this hour. We pray, Lord, your grace to be with us. May your Spirit direct us into the wonders of your Word. Help me to speak according to your Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. When Christ left the world, he made his will, said the quaint Matthew Henry. His soul he bequeathed to his father, his body to Joseph of Arimathea. His clothes fell to the soldiers. His mother he left to the care of John. But what should he leave to his poor disciples uh, who had left all for him? Silver and gold had he none, but he left them what was far better, his peace. The promise of verse 27 here is for us. Peace I leave with you as a legacy, as I return to my father and your father. My peace I give to you, not as something earned or deserved by us or merited or drummed up by our own abilities. Um, that would no longer be his peace, but our peace. And not as the world gives, but this is a true faithful and everlasting peace from the very Prince of Peace. This is one of those texts that I imagine B.B. Warfield would refer to as one of those incidental statements that, again, reflect the deity of our Savior, where we have passages that come out and speak of him being God, but what kind of a creature would say, I give you my peace? That's something that only God would say and do. It seems beyond debate that this peace is a spiritual peace, it is a peace for our hearts that guards us and fills us. It is uh, in the same context as the earlier verses in chapter 14 that are repeated here of not being fearful in this 27th verse. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. That's what greeted the, us in this uh, chapter and in the opening lines of chapter 14 where Jesus announces that he goes to prepare a place for all of his people. And if he goes, he will return again and bring us to uh, himself. So it's in the context of our hearts being agitated, being troubled, being fearful. So peace uh, in the world, peace on, on an outward scale is not what is being promised by God to his church. Rather, we are promised tribulation and trial, aren't we? In the book of Acts chapter 14, Paul says that remarkable thing after receiving all that ill treatment from those regions, he said, let's go back and bring the gospel to them and edify them. And even though it's not an outward peace, that doesn't mean that it's an unreal peace. It is a better peace than what we might have temporarily in the world. It is a heavenly peace, a peace in the vertical. And unlike the flimsy peace accords of men, this is something that is powerful and indestructible and triumphant in Christ. But this peace doesn't just pop out here. It doesn't grow out like Athena was supposed to out of the head of Zeus. Christ's unsurpassed peace really grows out of what we find in verses 28 through 31 as he speaks about his finishing his work, finishing his mission, finishing his sacrifice. Perhaps that's how we might tie it in with Leviticus 16. 
Um, Christ is going through here, as it were, with his axe. He is mowing down the disciples' sadness with joy, unbelief by his word, the threat of the devil by his perfection, and his love to the Father, leading him to the cross, dealing with his atonement. This is where our peace derives from. This is the ground or the soil from which his peace is communicated to you and to me. We see, for instance, in verse 28, you heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. That's the same language as back in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Here is, he, here is his reconciling us to the Father. He has become our peace, removing that enmity that was between us and God, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. It doesn't just say that he points to peace or he provides peace. He is our peace so that we are owned and named and above all, we are beloved of God because, solely because of what Christ has done. Our peace lies in the reconciliation that he accomplishes in verse 28a. Our peace also lies in his redemption in this latter half of that verse. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father for the Father is greater than I. This does not teach some sort of Arianism, which fails to take in the whole scope of Scripture. This is rather the fulfillment of his mediatorial humiliation. We recognize, again, as Warfield observed on Philippians chapter 2, that the, that, that the Lord, in a sense, became less by addition, by taking upon himself the form of a servant, laying aside the rich, full prerogatives of deity, setting that glory aside that was his, which just a few chapters later in John 17, he prays, Father, restore to me that glory which I had with you from before the very foundation of the world. So we rejoice to see him rising in triumph. That is what he is teaching us here, that we should be encouraged as we see him leading captivity captive after what he has accomplished on the cross and as he rises victorious from the dead. Um, he wore our curse. He took our sins. That thorny crown is a picture of, of Adam's inheritance because of his fall, and he dies in our stead. And so this should fire our love for him. He says, you, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because of these things. I don't think he's saying that they don't have love, but this love should be increased by these matters. And then that peace then comes in verse 29 as he speaks these things authoritatively in his own revelation. I have told you before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe. Christ gives his word to us in advance of what he would do. Um, he fulfills his promise of ascending to his father and our father. Our God, who has so richly provided reconciliation and redemption, is not going to leave the communication of his gospel into the hands of fallible men. The revelation itself must be from him. It must, be, it must have that kind of an integrity, uh, that message that is given to us uh, in the Old and New Testaments, that teaching of sola scriptura, that flows out of solus Christus, flows out of sola gratia. The communication then is not going to be left even in the hands of angels. It will be given to us in his own word. 
And if our peace were, were, uh, were set on anything less than that, that would not be a stable foundation for our, our comfort. And then 30, our peace is built upon his righteousness. As he testifies, I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me. The devil is coming to Christ, the ruler of this world. He would come to Christ in the form of Judas, who is right now betraying him, come to him in the soldiers in the, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, coming against him in the priests and the Sanhedrin, in Pilate and the mob. The devil, however, will not find anything in him and will not get a foothold because he has perfectly and is perfectly obeying uh, his father. He is the righteousness of God for us. He is the branch promised in the book of Jeremiah, whose name is the Lord, our righteousness. And thus a full and free justification is ours, apart from our works. What a full olive branch, then, of peace is our Redeemer. What tremendous words in Romans 5 and verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The whole issue of peace, in a sense, is taken out of our hands, and our God has taken that to himself. And then verse 31 presents us with Christ's loving obedience to the Father to do as he commanded, so that the world may know that I love the Father. I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Jesus is the faithful servant of Isaiah who says, Look unto me and be saved, because I was obedient. The Father commanded the Son, and the Son out of love voluntarily obeyed, even as Philippians 2 says, to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So by laying down his life, his people are free. And that's the message of the gospel that we, I hope, are being trained here uh, to send forth to every corner of the world these glad tidings of great joy and great peace to a dark and sinful world that they may know that God has sent his Son. This is why ministers and their very feet are described as being blessed as they publish such good news and why each and every believer, according to the armor of God in Ephesians 6, is to have his feet shod with the gospel of peace. You have a Savior who is not merely made peace possible, or who merely points to the way of peace. He is your peace. He is a strong peace. Philippians 4 says that your hearts are to be garrisoned in the peace of God. Horatius Bonner, the Scottish Presbyterian minister, write Christ's peace within us and Christ himself as our companion by our side. We go forth on our pilgrimage as men who are in possession of a heavenly charm which preserves them in patience and tranquility, which makes them invincible more than conqueror through him who loved them. Such a peace, it keeps the soul unmoved when the tempest is raging around. It makes us feel as if hidden in the hollow of, God, of Christ's hand, defended by his shield, embraced by his arm. It is light in darkness, a strong tower in the midst of assailing hosts. Do you feel that way today? Are you walking through uh, your uh, Tuesday morning in the hollow of your Savior's hand and drinking in the peace 
of this uh, wonderful Redeemer. So this brings us all back then to the promise of verse 27, that Christ's uh, peace is true and genuine, what he himself has purchased and possessed and passes on to all of his children. It is his legacy to you. It is a heavenly peace. It is my peace, or as, as later on he says, I, I leave you with my joy. It is a peace that is authored not by men or by the church, but by one who is called the very Prince of Peace. It's peace that fills the heart to overflowing, supernatural, surpassing our knowledge. I mean, think of that phrase, a peace that surpasses understanding. And yet, how infrequently are we experiencing and enjoying those riches that we are really drawing close to Christ in that way? This peace is not of this world. It is supernatural. It is, and yet, it nevertheless overcomes the world in the life of his people as something steadfast, immovable. The point is that we, either we have this peace or we do not. Every person that you meet, either they have Christ and, and they have with him that peace, or they do not have him as their Savior. And the one who has tasted and received him and his peace, we may fluctuate. We have our rises and falls in the enjoyment of these things, but we can never lose it as our, our possession. Christ has given this to us, and it is indefectible. How opposite is all this from the pretensions of the world's peace? And so many want to say that we, have, we can uh, uh, manufacture these things. Jesus insists emphatically, not as the world gives, do I give peace to you. In many ways, the world's peace is hardly even worth the name, is it? I can't remember where I read it recently, but somebody was talking about the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, and how, how unlike peace it was, of how wherever they went, they left great destruction in their wake. And to say that that was peace seemed to be uh, uh, ill-defined. The problem with the world's peace is that, is that it does not and cannot get to the heart of sin and wickedness in our lives. Wicked men say, I can produce peace, and the Bible says quite the opposite, that there is no peace, says my God to the wicked. The world under the ruler of this age is a troubled sea when it cannot rest as it casts up muck and mire, writes the prophet Isaiah. D.A. Carson observes on this passage, the world is powerless to give peace. There is sufficient hatred, Selfishness, bitterness, malice, anxiety, and fear that every attempt at peace is ra rapidly swamped. Attempts to achieve personal equanimity or merely political stability, whether by ritual, mysticism, or propaganda, without dealing with the fundamental reasons for strife, are, he says, intrinsically loathsome. That is why God denounces prophets and priests alike who practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, where there is no peace. The world promises peace and waves the flag of peace as a greeting, but it cannot give it. So many Neville Chamberlains coming back from meeting Hitler. Peace in our time. So many John Lennons whining out, give peace a chance. But what a delusion, what a counterfeit. 
It is the way of death and not of life. Worldly peace is the comfortable numbness of one still under the strong man, still under the sentence of death. It is like the, the, where I grew up in uh, western New York and had so much snow. It was just automatic. Almost every year, some drunken person would fall asleep in a snowbank, finding it comfortable there just to lay down, and they would, they would perish. And that's the kind of peace that the world calls their own. It's a delusion. What a stark contrast then. Horatius Bonner again says, Christ's peace is perfect. The world's is partial, imperfect. There's no greatness about it. It's a poor, meager thing. Christ's peace is, reaches the conscience, but the world's peace soothes the conscience asleep. It intoxicates it and hopes to blind it. Christ's peace is truly satisfying. The world's is not so. It meets none of our spirit's true cravings or longings, leaving us empty. Christ's peace is steady. The world's is wavering. The world itself is unstable, and so are all of its gifts, especially that of peace. How easily ruffled is the peace of the flesh. And Christ's peace is holy. The world's is unholy. One is from above and first pure, then peaceable, and the other is from below and of the earth, natural, demonic. In short, Christ's peace is true and everlasting, and the world's, what they call peace, is soon ended. So, dear friends, I would conclude with uh, having us consider what his, that his peace is given to us and just focus upon that verb. My peace I give to you because all of this, purchased, provided, promised, is received in a way of grace. How often we believe still that we must first make ourselves somehow worthy to enjoy the peace of God in his Son. Or we believe that if we just have, uh, we'll have his peace if, if our circumstances were just so, just right. Maybe if I didn't have an exam I'm going to take later on today, then I would be at peace as I'm listening to this message on peace. But ultimately, that is unbelief, isn't it? It's not looking to the Lord. We assail his mercy and his power to overcome and then expect him to give to us in our way and then are surprised when it doesn't work. Let us not make Christ's peace hinge upon the creature rather than our great sovereign Savior. There is no such man-made preparation except to acknowledge what is already true, that we are empty without him, that we are troubled creatures apart from him. What we need simply is need, and come to him as needy men and women. Jesus, the name that charms our fears and bids our sorrows cease, tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and peace. Are we coming to God as sinners in need of grace? Come to him so as an empty and needy vessel, and Christ will not send you away empty. It's the continuing and growing fruit of his spirit, which is love, joy, peace. And so really the way up is the way down, isn't it? What wisdom in these lines. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Jesus said, come to me. Come to me every day. You who are weary and heavy laden, 
and you will find rest for your souls. His rest, his peace, the peace that overcomes. So be moved all the more to rush into his strength and fortress of peace by the certainty of his promise and gifts to you. Does he not say to your soul today, in the words of Isaiah 54, O you afflicted one, tossed with tempest and not comforted, behold, I will lay your stones with colorful gems and lay your foundations with sapphires. In righteousness you will be established. You'll be far from oppression, for you will not fear, and from terror, for it will not come near you. If anyone fiercely assails you, it will not be from me. Whoever assails you will fall because of you. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. And why is that so? In the same chapter, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love, my covenant love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Praise God for the peace of the Lord Jesus, who said, my peace is yours. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your glory and goodness that is so fully displayed in your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for this chapter here in in John chapter uh, 14 of the comfort that is ours, the peace that is ours. We thank you for this whole section that is so rich. It is uh, so warm. There's no time that a believer cannot go into these passages and find such wealth and comfort and strength and help in their time of need. We pray, Lord, that you would lead us by faith to lay hold upon these riches, that we would walk more by our trust in you and less by our sight, calculating on the things around us rather than looking to our Redeemer. Lord, forgive us for um, turning our backs upon you, continuing to act as men and women in the flesh, and rather than living as those who have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into that of your beloved Son. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy and grace. May it continue to abound to us. Bless um, the remainder of this day. Bless Bless the school, we pray, and our instructors. May all be done to your glory. And we'll give you the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2016, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.